Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is The Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. Welcome, friends, to another episode of The Jenna Ellis Show. I am Jenna Ellis, and lots to talk about today. And before we get to the top headlines of the day and all of the uh, great things we talk about on this program, I also want to talk about my friends at Legacy Precious Metals. Uh, Legacy Precious Metals is a company that you can trust to give you good and patient counsel for your personal situation, for your uh, protecting your finances and retirements. When times are turbulent, you need an asset that protects you, and that's why I believe in investing in gold and trust my friends at Legacy Precious Metals. Call them today at 866-528-1903. That's 866-528-1903. Or you can visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com and download their free investor's guide. So now I'm going to welcome in my very dear friend, my big brother, the guy who loves to sometimes, you know, make fun of me, but in a very good natured way, always appreciate him so much. Eric Metaxas, welcome, my friend. It's great to see you. Welcome to the Salem family, my dear Thank friend. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to be here. And I have loved joining your show for the past, I mean, I think it's been like four or five years now. Yeah. And um, so it's really great to now have you on my show and get to talk about life and culture and now your brand new book that is called and you know you held it up earlier so let's show everyone at home is atheism dead um this of course i think is a play on the maxim is god dead and that of course was a question uh quite a while ago in culture i think it's still kind of a question today but what is the premise of this book and why is it timely right now well, it's pretty simple. And first of all, Jenna, I'm going to say that I've literally never been nearly as excited about a book. Never. I am bursting over this book. Um, the premise is simple. In 1966, there was a famous Time magazine cover article that said, Is God Dead? The premise being that, hey, you know what? Uh, all the evidence seems to say that science is pushing God out, that reason and science are are emerging uh, and and human beings are coming into the adulthood of our species and we're leaving behind the childish world of faith, right? So in 1966, they come out with this article and that narrative that God is passe, that religion is no longer a thing among the cognoscenti, the intellectual class, that idea has held roughly since the 60s. Uh, basically, it entered mainstream culture so that anytime evidence came in for the existence of God, it was pretty much batted away. It's kind of like, you know what, we've, we've really answered that question, and some weird people can still believe in that, but, you know, the intelligent people, educated people, we don't take it very seriously. Well, 
I came to faith pretty dramatically in 1988, and since then have been keeping track of astonishing evidence from the world of science, from the world of archaeology and other things, pointing us to belief in God. Now, my faith in God is solid. It's not dependent on the information that I bumped into it, but I thought we live in a culture where you never seem to see this information, or if you do, it just goes away quickly. Um, I remember uh, in the early 90s seeing the New York Times actually published an article about the discovery of the Tel Dan steel. This was a steel, a military steel discovered that mentioned the House of David. So for the first time in the history, in modern history, a name from the Bible, King David, who had been thought to be a mythical figure like, you know, uh, King Arthur and the Round Table, suddenly archaeology proves, oh no, what the Bible says happened 1000 BC, yeah, he was a real guy, a real king, here it's in stone. Every once in a while I'd notice something like that, and over the years I thought, it's beginning to get overwhelming. The evidence keeps pointing in that direction, but nobody talks about it, nobody talks about the scientific evidence. Mm -hmm. So I said, isn't it time to ask the question, not is God dead, but is atheism dead? Because if you actually look at the facts today, and again, there's a great irony that science has over the last few decades piled up evidence for the existence of a creator that, that I consider, to use a legal term, dispositive, or even more than dispositive. To use uh, a, a term like that makes it sound like it's a judgment call. It's almost incontrovertible. The level of evidence, the welter of evidence, becomes so staggering that if you look at it, and I put most of it in the book, it's really impossible to be an atheist. You could say, I'm, I'm an agnostic. You can say, that's not enough. I have questions. I hate Christians. I hung out with them, and they were really bad people. You, you can think what you want, but to say you're an atheist, uh, as people like Christopher Hitchens did and Richard Dawkins, it becomes at this point, intellectually sloppy and untenable. And I make that case in the book. The evidence from science is sick. I, I never dreamt it would, that I would live to see this kind of evidence. The evidence from archaeology is sick. And then the third part of the book, uh, first science, then archaeology, and the third part of the book, I deal with atheism itself. What does the record of atheism say? People who have been atheists, who've taken it seriously, uh, cultures, societies, countries that have enforced atheism, what do they look like? Hmm. I didn't ever think it would be this open and shut. But when you look at it, if you're honest, you say, I simply don't think atheism is possible anymore. People can claim to be atheists, just like people claim to believe the earth is flat or nobody ever landed on the moon. You can believe what you want. It's a free country. But I don't think you can be taken seriously. At this point, I think you have to retreat to agnostic if you want to be taken seriously. Yeah, and there's another legal term that comes to mind, which is beyond any and all reasonable doubt. And that's not 100% certainty, but on the scale and the spectrum of proof, saying that if you have a doubt that's reasonable, then maybe you hesitate to firmly fix your belief in uh, whatever the proof theorem is that you are trying uh, to get others to appreciate. But when you actually say beyond reasonable doubt, that's what I think you're describing here, Eric, because as science, true genuine science continues 
to progress. We continue to have these archaeological advances. We continue to see um, all kinds of evidence for the reliability of the inerrancy and sufficiency of scripture. It really is overwhelming. And, you know, our, one of our good friends, um, Jay Warner Wallace, wrote a book, Cold Case Christianity, um, that has, you know, a very similar um, idea in terms of saying, you know, as a cold case homicide detective, he went back and looked at the evidence just simply for the resurrection of Jesus Christ as if it was a cold case. And as you're describing this very important question, you know, culture today, I think, does raise science as actually the new God of our era to say, well, science explains everything. But you can't just take science apart from a creator and apart from all of these existential and moral questions. Science isn't going to inform us on the basis of morality and who we are. That, that's where a good, we're that's going. exactly what I go into in the book. I call it the limits of science. We've grown up in a world where acts as though scientists, you know, it's the new secular priesthood. Yes. And when you look into it, you think this makes literally no sense. I mean, if you want to say, I like scientists, I respect scientists, but the idea that they somehow have an inside track uh, on the truth makes literally no sense. The, science is very limited. It can only tell you uh, about what is. It can only tell you about the material world. And I came up with a phrase that we don't live in a world that's only material. I say if matter is all that there is. There's nothing beyond this world. There's nothing transcendent. There's no such thing as love or goodness. If, if that is true, if matter is all there is, then nothing matters. So if matter is all there is, nothing matters means that if there's only matter, nothing I do or say has any meaning. And most people can't possibly stare into this bleak abyss of atheism, a world without God, that there's no meaning. The love I have for my wife, my daughter, my parents, that's just chemicals uh, randomly uh, used by this evolutionary process to get me to perpetuate the species. It has no actual meaning or transcendence. Most people can't handle that. And the reason you can't handle it, it's because it's like somebody says, like, Not try uh, to make a square circle. Just, mm -hmm. just try. It hurts your brain because you say it just doesn't, it doesn't well, work. And, We're yeah, created and, for meaning. And when somebody tells you there's no meaning and no God and no transcendence, everything inside you says, uh, there's no way that's possible. Uh, so I can say, I believe it, but viscerally, I, I know mm -hmm. it can't be right. Well, because, and the Bible tells us that the word of God is written on our hearts. And the fact that we even contemplate meaning and it isn't just, a bunch of chemical reactions shows, I mean, it, it's a, it's really a self-refuting sort of premise to say that um, in order to contemplate meaning, there is no meaning because no meaning itself would mean that no meaning is the meaning, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, so that doesn't even make sense whatsoever. And we know, as you just said, viscerally, it doesn't make sense with the reality to which we're presented. And Eric, I often will tell um, students and, you know, anywhere that I'm speaking, I'm not a Christian just because I believe in God. I mean, people can believe in Santa Claus. They can believe in the two fairy. They can believe whatever they want. You know, they can believe Biden's a great president. He's the most popular president ever, right? They can believe in all of these lies. That doesn't make that true. 
I'm a Christian not just because I believe in God, but because I believe that the biblical worldview and all of the facts, the history, and the truth that is taught in the Word of God is the best explanation for the reality to which we are presented and which I, as a human being, have to confront. Every human being has to answer life's most basic questions. Is there meaning? Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? What's my life's purpose? If there was no meaning, why would we ever even contemplate those types of questions? Yeah, and so- it's funny because I deal with that. The new atheists, I mean, it's the classic example. They raged and raged. And you think, excuse me, if what you're saying is true, why would you bother? On whose behalf? Why do you care about other people? Why do you care about yourself? Why do you care about what's true or not true? You don't even believe in such a thing as truth. Mm -hmm. You know, Jen, I got to tell you, though, there are things in this book from the world of science and the world of archaeology that are astonishing and they are new. Nobody has written about them. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm bursting over this book, because I think people are going to kind of freak out. They're going to say, how did I not know this? Just like I, when I discovered these things, I thought, How is it that everyone doesn't know this? Everyone, certainly people of faith, should all know this. Nobody seems to have heard of a few things that I put in the book, and and I specifically put them in the book because we have to get the word out that the new evidence is just overwhelming. It's ridiculous. I mean, you and I believed before, five years ago, ten years ago, but like right now, I feel like I can take this book and give it to somebody who doesn't know what they think, and I'll say just read this book and then let's have a conversation because I'll bet you you've never heard this stuff. Nobody talks about Can you give us a little preview? The culture. What's that? Can you give us a little preview of maybe something no. that's in there? No. Okay. All right. You twisted my arm. Well, I'll give you one from the, from the world. Uh, I The reason I wrote the book, Is Atheism Dead?, is because of two people that I met. Uh, one has to do with the world of science, and one has to do with the world of archaeology. The science, uh, a guy, I'm going to have him on my radio program either this week or next week, uh, James Tour. I was in Houston, and a friend introduced me to him. He's probably the top nanoscientist on planet Earth. He manipulates molecules in the lab. He makes molecules. It's a level of technology and genius that is just sick. So he knows more about what goes on on that level maybe than anybody on the planet, right? And he is a believer, dramatic believer, and he said to me, do you know what abiogenesis is? And I said, no, what, what's that? He goes, well, that's the theory that four billion years ago, life emerged on Earth from non-life. And you think, yeah, that makes sense. That's what we're taught in school, except nobody ever really talks about it. But, but everybody says that the first life, single cell, super um, primitive life emerged from non-life. So we're not talking about evolution. Because evolution can only happen if there is life. Life can evolve. Mm-hmm. But what about before life? How do you go from inert, non-life to life? And this guy, James Tour, explained to me, since he knows more about this than anybody in the world, like they've been fudging this for 70 years. There was an experiment in 1952 where two University of Chicago students you know, ran some electricity through what they said was the prebiotic soup. They got some amino acids, and they said, boom, we're off to the races in 1952. Mm-hmm. We got amino acids, so that's the first step. And as the decades pass, we'll figure out the next step and the next step and the next step. And 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 here's the bottom line. It's been 70 years. They never figured out the next step. Hmm. They haven't moved the ball a millimeter forward. And James Tour says it's time to call, you know, let's call it in. It's over. 
what do we got? We got nothing. He says they are fudging it. They pretend we're on the verge of it. We've done all these studies. He says the more we know – now, again, science – this is the, uh, the thesis of the book, which is very, very counterintuitive. Science is working against the atheist narrative and for the oh. theist, the God narrative. Science has shown us just on this issue, the more we know about what a single cell is as the 70 years have, have passed – we know more and more that the complexity of a cell is such that we wouldn't dream that this thing came out of being randomly through the sloshing of waters four billion years ago. It couldn't have happened. So I'm giving you the, the brief version, but it's so dramatic. And you think to yourself, how come nobody ever talks about that? I mean, if you say to a scientist, you know, you believe life popped into being uh, single cells four billion years ago. Tell me, how did that happen? Right. They, they don't can't really know. explain it. And James Tour knows they don't know. And so I interviewed him for the book, and he gives you the details of how complex it would be. And the odds are so astonishing. It would be, it would be like you know flipping a coin heads over and over and over and over like a billion times in a row. That's not going to happen, and we can't even right. you know flip it twenty times and in a row to land heads. It just doesn't why, happen. You know, there's you have to have more faith actually to be an atheist. Definitely have more faith than to just believe what science shows and evidence is and to accept that there is a creator. And the only reason, Eric, that so many people want to be atheists is not because they genuinely believe that and there's so much evidence out there. It's because they're expressly denying and, as the Bible says, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. That, well, see, that's they right, and that's why I kind of think this is going to make some people uncomfortable because God yeah. is making it harder to pull that off. In other words, the new evidence in here it's going to blow some people's minds. They thought, oh, we, we've got to figure it out. We figured it out. Just ask them about that. There are three science things in the book. I won't go into them. But that one, no one ever talks about. And I really think these chapters in the book are going to spark a conversation because it's game over. It's seven decades that we've been working on this. And he says, not only haven't we moved the ball forward a millimeter, we've moved the ball backwards by light years. It's just mm -hmm. astonishing. So that's one big science thing. The biblical so archaeology... I met a guy in uh, Albuquerque. I was preaching at Skip Heitzig's church. He says, oh, you got to meet my friend, Dr. Stephen Collins, biblical archaeologist. He discovered biblical Sodom. I said, what? Bibl <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? Biblical Sodom, 1700 B.C., Abraham, Lot was destroyed. He discovered it. And I thought, well, I haven't read about that. That hasn't been in the New York Times. What are you talking about? I look into it. Jenna... It's a kind of an amazing thing because, you know, you hear people, oh, I think they found Noah's Ark. They found this. That. When I looked into this, I said, there's no maybe about this. Mm -hmm. This is freaky stuff. I wrote an article a couple of days ago in uh, Newsweek, newsweek.com, where I go into this because obviously it's incredible, by the way, that you're publishing in Newsweek this because what's that? It, that's incredible, actually, because typically Newsweek is not very friendly to Christians. So props to you for getting this into mainstream. I mean, what's so funny to me, the reason I wrote this article for Newsweek is that an article came out two weeks ago in one of the premier science journals in the world. OK, a paper, a peer reviewed paper came out. It was the work of 21 scientists, 21 authors who did research and analysis going back 10 plus years on what my friend Stephen Collins found in what we say is biblical Sodom. They analyzed it. These are secular scientists. And they said, 
exactly what they determined happened with all the science that they bring to this over years is consonant with the description in Genesis. I mean, it is a level of evidence for the Bible that I didn't think I would see this in my lifetime, or maybe I did, but now that it's here, I can't get over it. And I'm, I'm, I'm barely giving you the details, but the, the, the bottom line is that this is one of the most, you know, ancient things in scripture. This is 1700 BC. It's the first few pages of Genesis. Mm -hmm. We now have evidence and you know, the evidence is crazy stuff. When he dug there, the place that he, first of all, how did he find the place? He found the place by reading the scripture and saying, the scripture says, if Sodom is, is still findable, it's got to be right here. And he went there and he found, sure enough, what they call a, a tell, a gigantic mound, which was a city upon a city upon a city upon a city. They excavated and they find at 1700 BC, a layer of soot five feet deep. And scientists say, there is nothing to explain how this could be here. The, the idea of a volcano, a fire, uh, military, burning. What, there is nothing, earthquake, nothing. The only thing that it could be, and they say this is what it is, is what they call a cosmic airburst event. Mm -hmm. That means a meteor traveling about 35,000 miles an hour breaks through our atmosphere. This almost never happens, by the way. And if it happens... Uh, it happened in Tunguska, Siberia in 1908. Uh, it comes in about 180 feet in diameter. Now, you think that's tiny when you think of the size of Earth, right? This meteor explodes over Tunguska, Siberia with the power of 1,000 Hiroshima bombs. Wow. The temperature is initially 300,000 degrees, which is like, sounds like you're making it up. It flattened 80 million trees in Siberia instantly. Now we know that happened. So the scientists looking into what happened at uh, Tel uh, Naman, or I can't remember the, which Tel this is, but when they discovered this, they said that's the only explanation mm -hmm. of what we see here. There's none other. And they found a piece of pottery exactly from the era, 1700 BC. In fact, Dr. Collins is a ceramic typologist. He knows this stuff instantly. He looks at it, he flips it over. It's got this green glassy glaze on it. And he says, well, that, nobody had technology to do that till like 750 AD, 24 centuries later. How did this happen? So that's part of this whole thing. They take it to the lab and the lab says, there's only one explanation. It had to be exposed to extremely intense heat, like 4,000 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, for like 25 seconds. That's the only explanation for how pottery could begin to melt. And you add this up, even the, the soot, uh, the five feet level of, 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 of soot, five foot deep is, it, he says it's like a Cuisinart, like they're bits of melted brick and, and bits of melted charred bone, tiny bits. No one has ever seen anything like it. And so these 21 scientists laboring on this, not people of faith, come up with a conclusion. So I said, I've got to write about it in Newsweek, but obviously it's much more detail uh, in my book. But the point is that when you think that we've discovered biblical Sodom and that the facts are so dramatic, because I'm giving you just like, you know, a few details, but you begin to wonder what else is there? And so in the book, I kind of give a, a smorgasbord of, of what are the greatest hits of biblical archaeology. And it is just, 
it's astonishing. This is the most dramatic and the, the most recent, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the one that nobody's heard about. But a well, lot of and the other stuff heard about it clearly about. because if there is no other explanation, then of course the mainstream media and the atheists and the people who want to excise God from culture don't want to talk about it because there is no other rational explanation. And so I'm glad that you're bringing these things uh, to light, Eric. And I just love how God consistently. Uh, shows himself. And the more that we learn about the empirical world around us, the more we learn about history, about science, about philosophy, about anything uh, really that's in our material world, we learn and it evidences the truth about the spiritual world. And that's why Christians can't be afraid of science or say, you know, well, I just have faith and I don't need to know about the rest. Well, no, we are taught in scripture as well that we need to grow in both the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And that means to know him, to know the world and the universe that he's presented us to have it, an explanation and a defense for our faith. Um, you know, as first Peter three talks about having a hope um, and a defense for the hope that lies within us. And so this is a wonderful book that you're putting forward that provides this type of defense that is now current. It's contemporaneous with modern culture. And I think especially for young people um, who are seeing things like in the area of science when it deals with topics like pro-life. I mean, we are really the pro-life generation because students are starting to see that the scientific evidence for life beginning at conception, for unborn life, you know, going back, I'm convinced, Eric, that if the 1973 Roe court were sitting today, they would hold very differently, literally just because of the science. So this is so important. I agree with you. I feel, again, this is the thesis of the book, science, this is great irony, science is leading us to the truth, is leading us to faith in God, to leading us to see the humanity of the unborn, and I have to say, obviously, I deal with science. I deal with all kinds of biblical archaeology. But the third part of the book, I deal with atheism itself. And there are two things in there, at least two things, that no one will know, and that is a headline. This is going to shock people. Two of the greatest atheists of the 20th century, uh, Albert Camus uh, and Jean-Paul Sartre, mm-hmm. both of them, no one knows this, both of them independently in 1960 and in 1980 came to faith. They had the bravery to look into the bleak abyss of atheism to say, can, can I face this? And at the end, both of them came to faith. No one knows this. It's a miracle that I discovered it. I put it in the book. And I have to tell you, Jenna, you know this, because since I've been canceled from YouTube and really have taken a beating in that way, I'm no longer shy about asking people, please go to my website, Please pre-order the book. Uh, some of the links where you can pre-order it on my website are incredibly cheap, 45% off. Uh, I don't care where you order it from. And I also want to ask people to sign up for my newsletter at my website, ericmetaxas.com, because since YouTube canceled me, I can't get my interviews and my videos uh, out mm-hmm. to people. So I say this and they need to shamelessly. Yeah, and, and you should, because as YouTube and other platforms are canceling the truth and they're canceling all um, opinion and evidence and fact that is contrary to their preferred propaganda and narrative, we have to not only support authors like you, but also go to the platforms where we can hear the truth. And that's why, uh, like the Salem Podcast Network, the Salem Radio Network is so important. And that's why it's also very important to support your work, Eric, and all of the things um, that you're doing because this is something where I hope that people 
read this book. Um, if you're a Christian, read this book because that's going to give you even more tools at your disposal and arsenal to provide a defense for your faith, but also give it to a friend who um, maybe is wrestling with questions or maybe hasn't even contemplated this before. Give it to your pastor. Um, but, but go and get this book because these types of things are so important to be reading. This is more important than, you know, the top trending, whatever doom scrolling on Twitter. What's important <laughs> here is that this is fact, it's evidence, and it's something that we need to, as Christians, realize for all the political commentary, we have to bring it back down to the truth. And that's always at the end of the day, what matters. People are going to walk differently once they've read this book. If you're a believer and you read this book, you're going to, in a sense, I actually think, and because it's happened to me, when you know all of this evidence, you think, oh my goodness, it's open and shut. I'm no longer being apologetic about talking about my faith. This is dramatic on every level, and I am going to do everything I can to talk about it. And it's going to be hard for me to take people seriously who mock my faith because I now know that they are being intellectually as silly and sloppy as possible. I'm going to, I'm well, just going to approach the whole thing differently. And, and, and people like us living through these tough times, we need to be encouraged. And I just believe yeah. the stuff in here, I mean, it is so dramatic that, you know, I've just shared a few things, but there, and there's other stuff. It's kind of crazy that we didn't already know this. So I'm just on a uh, on a crusade to get this stuff out there because I think people will just walk differently and, and feel different than uh, than they have when they know that science overwhelmingly in this day and age points to God. There's simply no question. Hmm. That's amazing, Eric. And I can't wait to read the book. So it's Is Atheism Dead? Uh, definitely go to any of uh, Eric's website, follow him on Twitter before he's canceled there. Follow him on all the social media platforms. Go to um, your website is ericmetaxas.com. Go there, pre-order the book, get one for a friend. And Eric, thanks so much for all of the work that you do and for also just being such a bold voice for the truth. We need more people who have courage like you to stand up and say, I don't care if I'm canceled. That doesn't matter. What matters is that I always speak the truth, present facts. And I think you are encouraging a lot of people to stand up boldly for truth, especially in a day and age in America where we never thought we would see this type of censorship. And so it's even more important that we have people like you that are encouraging the body of Christ. So thank you, my friend, so much for all the work that you do. And I look forward to talking with you soon. It's, uh, it's my honor. Thank you so much, Jenna. Good to see you. Great to see you too. Um, so one of the sponsors for the Jenna Ellis show is my good friend, Mike Lindell. And by now you've all heard me talk about my pillow and Mike now has done it again by introducing his new, my slippers. I'm so excited about these. Um, I have a pair of my slippers. They're kind of awesome. And he has taken over two years to develop these. They're designed to wear indoor or outdoor all day long. So this is important if you're like me and you have to like go to the package room, the mailbox, you can actually wear them outside, not just indoors and then have to put something more uncomfortable on to go outside. They're made with MyPillow foam and impact gel to prevent fatigue and made with quality leather suede. So for a limited time, 
He's offering 50% off his new my slippers. So go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and you can use the promo code Jenna, that's J-E-N-N-A, to get the new my slippers at this deep discount and on all my pillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the my pillow mattress topper, my pillow towel sets. Call 1-800-564-8475 or go to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code Jenna. And, of course, support Mike Lindell because he has been uh, absolutely canceled by a vicious, vicious leftist culture. And I'm so proud that Mike is a sponsor of The Jenna Ellis Show because he is a very good friend, and I'm very glad to support him as well. So use the promo code Jenna at mypillow.com or call 1-800-564-8475. And that will do it for us today on the Jenna Ellis Show. And wherever you are listening to this podcast, make sure that you subscribe for free so that you never miss an episode. And I will see you tomorrow.